Welcome back to Following Noadon, a Stormlight podcast. This week, we are returning to Scadriel. We are opening up The Well of Ascension by Brandon Sanderson, going way back to 2008, um, published Brandon Sanderson. Paul and Elliot, how are you? I'm great. We're, we're kind of back at our... Um... We're back into, I guess, our main series of our of our <laughs> podcast right now. I guess we're mostly trying to go through Mistborn. We took a break for Yumi and the Nightmare Painter, and that, which was a lot of fun. If you haven't read that or looked at that, definitely go do so. Uh, but we're back. We're starting the Well of Ascension, and I'm excited. I'm excited. We're kind of going, starting off at least, we're going kind of quickly through the first part but i i'm really excited about it um so i'm mostly really curious to hear what elliot has to think so i too i too am excited for for this book mistborn didn't rank quite as as highly the, the first one as as some of the other sanderson books that i've i've read but i'm i'm really curious to keep going there, there was so much in that first book that really caught my my interest and i really need to see where it where it's going both with the magic systems and the characters and the planet as a whole. I'm still, I'm extremely curious and and really excited to keep going. Although I am rather confused by the book cover that I'm looking at in front of me. I just want to say, okay, got? I've, I've got the, 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 the mass market paperback version, which has an incredibly sci-fi looking like, <laughs> ball of metal with laser beams shooting out or into it and shattered like it, it's probably like just glass but it almost looks like spaceships or something finer I, like very sci-fi i don't know if i've seen that one before well i i have seen I, it before i don't know if i've really studied it before i i agree i know i've seen this i think i actually own this version like i own my, my wife actually got that version i had a different version uh, but like the mass market paperback, really easy, small, easy to bring with you. But yeah, the the art on them is kind of funny. I I mean, I've read the series and I'm not really sure how it relates. So that's kind of funny. I well, once I get all unpacked, uh, I've been moving the last month or so. Um, I do plan on buying the new um, paperbacks that. The, the new covers that came out last year, I think look really, really good. So um, I plan on getting those. Today, we are going to be covering the entirety of part one of Mistborn. That's more chapters than we usually cover. And here's a quick explanation on why, uh, why we're going to be doing that. So Stormlight 5 is fast approaching. I know it doesn't really feel like that on the, um, the, the Stormlight day counter or whatever, but it's... Next November is the scheduled date. And in our our main goal is to pick up Stormlight 5 the day it comes out and to be Cosmere Current on that day. So something that we're going to try um, is we're going to try with our books for the first one or two parts of the book. We're going to try to cover them faster more chapters in fewer episodes and then once we get towards the end of the book we will slow down our chapter count slow down our word count for 
the Sanderlanch. I'm not sure if this is going to work. Um, and today will be a good litmus test for us to see how that goes moving forward. If we if we decide that we can't cover enough in episodes per week based on the chapter count that we are doing, we will slow back down to what we to something closer to, than what we were doing. But here goes an experiment. So we're going to be doing the entirety of part one of the Well of Ascension uh, today. And if it's been a while since you guys picked up Mistborn, if you're listening to this, I'm going to have Elliot do a quick summary of what we've been reading um, for each episode that we're going to be doing. But before we do that, let's roll intro and then talk about The Well of Ascension by Brandon Sanderson. All right, Elliot, for our listeners who haven't read The Well of Ascension in a while, that it obviously spoilers, you need to have read this book to listen to this podcast. But if, you, if it's been a while, like for me, since you've read this book, what, uh, what happens in part one of Mistborn? Yeah, definitely set the scene a little bit here. I'm sure I'm going to miss a few details, but to kind of hit some of the the big highlights, we pick back up with uh, our heroine Vin, and it's been it's been a year, so a whole year since the last story, the last time we've seen our our characters. So a lot has a lot has happened, but we pick them up in a pretty pretty predictable spot. I feel like they're trying to hold together their new empire or kingdom, I guess that they've they've created. Elend is is now king, and they're trying to play politics and defend their city against an army that has shown up on their doorstep, which happens to be Ellen's father, Straff Venture, who is coming presumably to forcibly take the the city back. Vin is still bouncing around doing her misborn stuff. She's fighting assassins and trying to defend Elend and running into strange mist creatures and working with a chondra who she manages to turn into a dog which is kind of cool and let's see there's another mistborn running around that she's calling the watcher has an interesting interaction with uh with that character says is out amongst the people trying to help them learn how to be a people again let's see what else we learn a bit more about metals we'll get into that we kind of close the the part one section with Breeze arriving back on the scene, having brought an entire other army to the scene. And so now we, instead of a two-party standoff, now have a three-party standoff between our heroes in the capital city of Luthadel, Straff Ventures Army, and then another army under the, the command of someone named Set. I'm assuming, is how you might pronounce mm-hmm. that name? Yes. Set. How do you spell Venture. it? Heroes, T E P T, I believe. I would not have gotten that right if what we were you, doing a spell what check. What did you say? For the T. He says C E T T. Correct. Okay. Right. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Um, uh, you meant you you said so, Elliot. However, um, important to note that um, Breeze showing up with an army 
is not an army to help our protagonists here. It's a it's an army who want to overthrow the city, and there's now a big yes. like stalemate kind of between the parties involved. Uh, that was actually really neat. That's that's something that kind of I didn't think about until he explains it right of how whenever there's two forces against each other, it doesn't work out very good for the weaker force, right? But if you have three forces involved, then they can't attack the weak one without being exposed to the other. And it actually gives the, the weakest force kind of a, uh, some more leverage of if they join forces with one of one or the other, then they're going to make the difference, you know? And I think that's, um, it's just really clever uh, of kind of a way to at least extend their <laughs> their time, um, but it's not looking great. Ooh, excuse me for them right now. I do think it's pretty funny that Breeze didn't send word of this plan at all. He kind of just shows up with a huge army on his tail, um, and he's like, "Solved your problem. You're welcome." After they all. Why did you bring us a second army to come destroy us? Like, no, I'm doing you a favor. The the dynamic of Vin kind of being assassin in chief, if you will, of the city. She's doing her best to keep everybody off Ellen's back, uh, quite literally. Um, I I think it's a cool one where she's. She's definitely staying clear of all the politics, does not want to get involved in any of the running the city. That she, She's totally fine having Ellen do all of that. But she's found her niche in um, serving Ellen by protecting him. Um, that, that's, how, that's where she fits in. So I, I thought this was a nice way to open the book again. We get a quick action scene, um, which... I want to get into, maybe at the end of the episode, the difference between early Brandon Sanderson writing and the newest Brandon Sanderson writing. We've When, when we were doing uh, Mistborn 1, The Final Empire, we, at the end of the episode we did some Stormlight stuff, um, spoiler segment. At the end of this episode I might do a Yumi and the Nightmare Painter stuff and talk a little bit about, and I want to compare... Um, specifically writing style. I, I noticed some very interesting differences between 2023 Brandon and 2008 Brandon, but we'll, we'll I think we'll come back to that. Elliot, what between uh, this new aluminum uh, alloy or the Watcher or Sazed and what he's trying to investigate, what uh, what, what struck you the most what do you want to talk about the most um well we'll get to with them all but which one's the most interesting line for you i by far the most intriguing bit of part one is the the figures in the mist okay by by far super intrigued by those i'm, I'm assuming the experience that sazed had with watching a villager get like killed by the mist and this being of some kind that Vin saw at least once, maybe twice, it's either once or twice, of like the mist starting to take the form of a person 
I think, or some sort of mm-hmm. humanoid shape. And her getting this feeling that there's a, a being there. I don't remember if she's able to even use her her allomancy to like detect somebody there or not. But like, what are what what is that about? Yeah, I'm I'm all, I'm already really wanting to learn about the mist in general because of the events in the very end of the the previous book here, where the mist played a role in the demise of the Lord Ruler, and I, I think it's specifically mentioned in this first part here that. Vin can draw on the mist to mm-hmm. feed her her powers. That's explicitly said at one point in here, which I think we kind of concluded at the end of of last book. But what's with these these people in the mist? That's that that seems new to me. I don't recall that before. I really want to know. The Vin has an internal dialogue where she kind of muses on the fact that the the ska holds her up as on this pedestal and the rumors about her are more fantastic than what actually happened that there was some like great mystical power that happened that but she in her mind says well i just got lucky i i figured out what he was doing with his metal in his arm and then kind of just exploited his weakness but i think and elliot what you were just talking about i think vin's doing herself a disservice and might be intentionally avoiding a key line at the end of the book that Elliot you're latching on to is Vin drew upon the mists is how the final empire closes. And then it, um, the well of ascension opens with, she has not been able to replicate it. She does remember doing it and she does remember that it's weird, but she hasn't been able to replicate it, which is it, which is an interesting, uh, concept yeah i was gonna point that out because i thought she there was mention of like even in that moment she doesn't 100 percent know how she did it right she wasn't like i'm now going to uh call upon the mists you know it just kind of like happened i guess um so at least right now i don't know that it's like it's like an, an innate thing for her, at least yet. If she can reliably do it, then she doesn't know how to yet. I think even things like that play into the the overarching theme about Vin for me, which is she consistently sees herself as worth less than she actually is. Right. She She always has a lower value image of herself in her own mind. And completely agree with what you said i think she does herself a big disservice in the credit she's due for standing up to the lord ruler taking taking him down that that was a pretty incredible course of events at the end of the the last book and she's like yeah yeah i was just kind of there like what are you kidding me that was that was very heroic what we what we saw and she's like yeah it's kind of right place right time like no i i i this multiple times throughout first book after this part one of, of book two here, I'm very much in the same place. I really desperately want to see her journey be the journey to seeing her own self-worth. I I think she still needs that. She's come a long way, a long way from the street urchin that we met her as. I think she still has a lot more, a, a long way to go to to see her own value. 
Yeah, I agree. What about uh, aluminum two or the aluminum? Oh yeah, alloy that we've discovered. She gets it on what try five, I believe, out of forty known elements uh-huh. that they know. Uh, does it end up being aluminum and copper? I believe. I believe so. And then in chapter right. yes, in chapter nine, maybe we really figure out what exactly it does, or. Vin skips to this conclusion of what it does is that it kind of instant flares what you're currently burning. She doesn't figure that out the first time. She kind of blinds and deafens and she's herself all at once. She's so reckless. She's like in a terrible situation where she needs to do something desperate. She's like, Oh, this metal that I don't know what it does quick burn it all. It's like, (laughs) Vin, you're going to kill yourself. Like slow down. Yeah, I I was thinking about that reading this of like we don't I mean we see it come into effect a little bit but but you mostly just hear an explanation of yeah if you burn the wrong metal then you get sick and you get it doesn't work mm-hmm. you know and all this stuff like it it's not good for you um and here she like she knows this but she just doesn't really care she's like eh, we'll risk it you know just go for no. it. I don't know what it does, but I'll just try it. Yeah, go for it. I did. I was actually really interested in the 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 Dura Dura Lumen. I think is the the name of Duralumin it. Duralumin uh, is at least how they, they say it in the audio. Okay, book. they call it, do call it Duralumin. Duralumin. Okay, I think I like that better. Actually, the yet again, Brandon surprised me, and that I read that. And was quite sure that he'd made that name up. <laughs> but because I've been wrong before in this book, I Googled it. Sure enough, that is a well-known and established alloy of aluminum mixed with copper. So I learned something. The nice. is a very real thing. And the correct name for that alloy. <laughs> Well, then I uh, am learning that now for the first time, too, because I thought it was also just a made-up thing. Like, yeah. Okay, that's fun. Duralumin. Yeah, that's a fun, fantastical version of right. aluminum and copper, you know? See, I, I did know nope, Dur- you could... Duralumin was a real alloy, but the, the things I do and don't know are kind of interesting because I still didn't know that Allomancer was... Just the combination of the words alloy and <laughs> oh, necromancer back in the day, but now I now I do know that. So education all around. Yes, there we go. And I thought the the actual ability that you get from it was entirely logical. We we learned in the last book that if you burn aluminum, or if someone forces you to burn aluminum, it destroys or sucks up or negates all of your other metals that you that you have the the inquisitors forced vin to burn aluminum after they captured her in order to like cleanse her of her you know metals that she's ingested so she she can't you know use her powers so for duralumin our our alloy to do something similar but opposite made perfect sense she burns this alloy of aluminum and it consumes all of the metals she's actively burning, but it greatly enhances their effects. To And she uses this to pretty incredible effect 
in chapter 11, when you get down to the end, it's either 10 or 11, where she goes to the rescue uh, Breeze as he's trying to to make it back. And she like full on like Superman flies makes, through the air using this. Makes a Breeze of the enemy soldiers. Yeah. Uh, indeed. Uh, <laughs> That was a good one, Trevor. Really Thanks. good. Sorry, couldn't resist. Yes. Um, well, fatherhood is doing wonders for your sense of humor. Yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, I, I did think it was interesting that Vin does not really uh, have any pity for the horses of said army. She makes quite the pyre of dead dead people and horses on this uh, enemy army coming. I don't remember the phrase exactly, but some I don't remember exactly, but somewhere in there in this scene that you're mentioning, Trevor, it says like a scream of equine pain. Yes. And I was like, that's really sad. <laughs> like that's just really sad imagery there. She she spared no expense for the horses. Hmm. I do think we've just seen a pretty significant level up in power here mm-hmm. or as of right now just vin like what she's able to do with these incredibly boosted metals is massive like another it's another order of magnitude up she's got a significant advantage over even other alamancers as she can now do these incredible things by supercharging her abilities right is I mean, we just saw it happen with steel, and we can assume what it uses with pewter. Is there anything else that we know of that would be really interesting to burn this with? What happened with gold? Remember what gold does? My gold best was the... memory. Is that how... Was gold how Vin saw the Lord Ruler as, like the old old man lord ruler and understood that was the 11th metal what was going on gold that's right gold that's right. was the one where she saw an alternate version of herself and she really didn't okay. like it and said i'm never burning gold again what so e- either the 11th metal or gold same question what what would happen if you flared for lack of a better term with uh Duraliman? anything like a super flare. Yeah, that's a great, great question. Great you see, question. see yourself as a baby? Like, <laughs> maybe. That, that's a really good question, Trevor. So, I, so, I mean, we, okay, thinking about what she saw, she, the, that's the only time we've seen gold be burned, right? I think so. I think Kelsey Ace. burns it and she burns it. And that's, that's, that's right. It. So she burns gold and she sees she sees herself like kind of as she is now, right? Or was it was it in the past? I don't remember. I think she sees herself as a street urchin. Okay. My my general memory on it is that she basically just kind of sees herself or it may be a, like how you see yourself how do you think of yourself or something oh, yeah. weird like that something kind of meta like that mm-hmm. um but so the how the development apparently works is it it like 
super pushes it's basically using all that power to that you could use spreading out your burning your gold like in a flash is kind of it's what it seems to do right so i don't know what would happen with amplifying that like right. we can the others we can quantitatively measure i right. feel like like pewter yeah you punch really hard for one second kind of thing but like with this i don't know do you like super see yourself yeah how you think of yourself like, I, don't, I, I don't i know. don't know what that means like <laughs> yeah the 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 military advantage of this seems high it, at least for her like pewter and steel and iron abilities if she is the only misborn who knows about this alloy and if she can keep it that way that's a big advantage. I mean, obviously, ATM is kind of your your yes, you have an advantage or you don't over another like Mistborn. But if she can like catch a Mistborn off guard with a super duper punch from her pewter, like I could see that being a a big deal. She did just show it off for both armies in broad daylight, though. We're gonna know she has something, but they're not gonna know how. Sure. But but. She what jumped like half a mile in one leap or whatever it was. It was like that. That's not yeah. normal. True. What about uh? Let, let's talk more about this. The mists, um, and the, the the dudes in the mists. Elliot, are these? Is what says it is seeing and hearing, and what Vin is seeing? Are they related? Yes. No. I I have very little to go off of, but in my mind they're the same. In that we're seeing the mist. I, I want to go two directions here. And I feel like we're a little early to even try and draw conclusions. We haven't gotten a lot of evidence on this. One of two things is happening. Either the mist is acting of its own accord. That there is a being or beings that are the mist or are part of the mist. And can act and influence the world. And they just choose to appear as human type forms or something like that second there's invisible beings that are revealed by the mist and that, okay. like their interaction with the mist causes them to be seen for a moment or hmm. they are traveling in the mist for other reasons and they're like not normally visible but when they're in the mist sometimes they are something like that and so the two descriptions seemed really similar to me mm -hmm. of what Sezed saw during the day and what Vin saw during the night. So and, and until I get evidence, otherwise I'm assuming we're encountering similar beings or missed taking actions. Uh, either way, pretty terrifying. <laughs> very, very terrifying. I don't know. It, it's a funny twist on things, actually, because we start the first book being terrified of the mist. Like all the ska are like, oh, don't go out the mist. Bad things happen. And we spend the entire book establishing that that's just an old wives tale. And the mist is perfectly fine. Vin gets comfortable with it. Vin and Kelsey have long conversations. Oh, yeah, I actually feel more comfortable in the mist because it's just it's fun. It's by nighttime. And now we open this book with, oh, but yeah, now there's people in the mist that will murder you if you're not watching. Mm, yes. In broad daylight, not just at night. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I 
I'll be honest, I don't remember what's going on here, but I'm not going to hypothesize because we've seen where that gets us in the past where I <laughs> I don't remember, but I'm just casually spoiling stuff because I subconsciously do remember and I'm making good guesses. Judgments. Right. Yeah. But so I, I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna guess, but I, I don't remember what's going on here. I I guess one thing I'll I'll just throw out real quick before we move on. I'm still in the hunt for where's the investiture. Okay. I'm I'm still, you know, trying to find, you know, that, which I, I won't go into too many crazy theories because I know we're trying to stay spoiler free for some other other stuff, but I'm I'm looking at the metal and thinking, okay, potential investiture there. I'm looking at now the mist as okay, potential investiture there. And that could have explanations or ties into why there might be people or beings in the investiture mist. Because of how uh, book one ended and she drew upon the mist, quote unquote. Correct. Yes. Yeah. What about uh, what about the Watcher? What about this other? I, I think that's just Vin's edgy name for him. I don't think he's ever named himself. <laughs> I think. Vin's just a little dramatic and enjoys being so. Um, there's another Mistborn that is hanging out in the city, deliberately not helping her with... Well, I shouldn't say that. Deliberately not going after Vin like in an aggressive way, but obviously trying to like get her attention. Um, and he, he hasn't threatened Ellen yet, so that's why Vin's not super concerned. Um, but trying to make himself known to to Vin. What do we think of the Watcher? Didn't have too many thoughts on the Watcher because I feel like I would just be completely guessing at this point. He right. seems to be a new character, seems to be maybe independent out for his own. Yeah, noticeably does not attack Vin necessarily. There's even the, there's the one battle she has where he's like just there watching, but then he intervenes in moments. I don't, did he save her? I don't remember. He, he, I think he did, right? He shoots a coin at the smoker in the in the assassin group, and then yeah. kills him. And then that reveals to Vin that there's another smoker, aka a mistborn, mm. in the group. Mm -hmm. So so he is actively helping. Vin in that scenario, which is why I didn't continue my phrase there that he's not like actively helping because he did, right? Um, but he's also not like you know down there with her punching and zipping coins through people's faces and stuff like that, right? So I have him tentatively marked as not enemy. That could change. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I yeah, I'm sure we'll. Any predictions that we have will I think will be quickly dispelled and we'll figure out exactly what he's what he's doing here. So I am I am curious to see if a trend will continue. In in book one, at least three or four times I expressly asked Brandon to answer questions for me, and then he immediately did in upcoming chapters. Yeah. And that that caught me off guard because in Stormlight that Hardly ever happens. I ask Brandon questions and I don't get my answers for a long time. And so now I think my pendulum is swinging the other way. Now I'm expecting to get answers 
quickly. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm not even going to wonder about this watcher because surely they're going to tell me here in another chapter or two. We'll see if that's wrong or not. Yeah, and I, I'm i going to talk about this more once we do our full podcast spoilers for everything we've read at the end of the episode here. But I, I am curious also to see exactly the dynamic of when Sanderson is comfortable leaving mysteries to later and when he feels like he needs to reveal. Because specifically in this chapter, I feel, or in this part one, I feel like we still got a lot of what I put as metal splaining in um in the chapters, whereas in more modern, more recent Brandon Sanderson books, I don't I feel like he is more confident in his own ability to reveal to you things when you should know them, not necessarily immediately. So we talked about that a lot last book is that we're getting a lot of reveals right away as opposed to stormlight, which that, that doesn't necessarily happen. So, but I'll talk about that a little bit more later. All I have a, I have a question for you in on the next thing that I want to talk about. I want your, I want your opinion. Who makes the cooler wolfhound companion or sure. Or 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 sir, I cannot say that name in my head. By the way, or or sir, or or or, or sir, they they skip the e. In uh, I was going to say or sir, or okay. I feel or like sir. I don't really hear the r much in the audiobook. It's just like oh sir, oh sir, oh sir. <laughs> yeah, maybe it is way harder than I thought. Or, oh sir, that oh they, sir, they specifically. Oh, I know it's one like one word in the book, but they specifically put it into two separate like syllables, so it's definitely like or sir in the audiobook if that helps you. Okay, it does. Anyway, back to my question. Who is the cooler wolfhound companion, or sir, or huon from the Silmarillion? Uh I mean, I would 100% say huon uh from the Silmarillion. But um but I won't get into I'm not gonna get into uh too much more about Osir Osir or Sir. Um <laughs> now it is it, it is very different. They're, they're they're very different. Um 'cause 'cause our hound companion here isn't necessarily a a hound itself. Yeah. It is a Chondra who is using a hound's body, which I think is really cool. I love the scene where, for for two reasons, I love the scene where they're kind of running through the the city, mm-hmm. and Vin is impressed that he's keeping up because he has this hound body, you know. Um, and then they kind of have a little moment of she kind of tries to be like, okay, well, let's see you do this, and then she leaps, she like pushes herself way off Uh and he has to catch up you know because he can't do that um and he's like why why would you why would you want to do that like you should move so that i can be near so that i can still help you know um i think it was was kind of neat because vin seems to not love love her her assistant here uh too much she feels very icky about him and and stuff so 
it's kind of interesting to gotta, see that. I I gotta admit, I think I feel kind of icky about him too. Like there's, it, it seems clear that he's tied to his contract, and he must obey it. It seems like every third line he says is, "I shall obey the contract" or something to that effect. And, but there's just something about a servant who is serving their master for no other reason than they have to that gets me suspicious. And it seems like everyone's like, oh yeah, he's a chondra. He, he can't betray you. He has to do everything that you say. I, I'm over here like, eh, um, I'm nervous. I, I don't like this guy. That's fair. Maybe I'm the only one, but I <laughs> I didn't have problems trusting him. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Like he just has to do his I, thing, you know. And I guess we haven't seen or heard really of from other Condra, but um but like I, I was almost thinking it's more of a social quirk that they have. It's just very they're very matter of fact very professional yeah. if you will like we're not going to get into personal details it's just yes i will do this because it's in my job description we don't need to talk about anything beyond that kind of thing uh, was kind of how i've read into it i guess do you guys remember how kelsier bought the contract from morser no well I don't remember for sure. Kelsier gives Orser Atium. He buys his contract with Atium, which I think is interesting because that the, the amount of weight they put on the contract would imply that they put equal as much weight on Atium. And why and what they need Atium for is a big question for me right now. On the other flip side of that, in this part, Vin just uses up the very last of their known ATM in the city. ATM is now, if it was before a scarce resource, now it's almost unobtainable. Um, Vin is out of ATM fighting this other Mistborn in Chapter 2. And they have not been able to find that massive warehouse of ATM that we were talking about in the last book that apparently exists somewhere. Um, they don't think Straff has it. He, he they, they weren't sure, or they don't know, but they were pretty positive that he didn't bring it with him when he left. Um, Cause he, the, the venture house was in charge of the ATM mines, the pits of have sent. Um, so if anyone knows where the ATM is being stored, assuming he hasn't been moved would be who? Straff venture right. or Straff venture and he just Ellen, and, and he just showed back up. Well, Ellen specifically, he's been like, I didn't really care about anything that my house was doing. I didn't pay attention. Um, so now that Straff is back, I think him maybe knowing where the ATM is could be a big pivotal um point of contention moving forward. Is I know where your ATM is. Oh, you haven't found it yet? That's a bummer. I'm going to go get it, or I'm going to sneak in and get it, or whatever. Or a negotiation, you know, tactic. Right. Where 
we just talked about how we were, were about to enter into a, a three-way standoff. I could see that becoming an offer or leverage. If he goes into that negotiation with that claim of, oh yeah, and you want to help me because I know where all the ATM is. Yeah, he could talk to Set, the other army that just showed up mm -hmm. and said, help me take the city. I get the city, you get the ATM, you go back home. Yeah, that could definitely be sure. a... That could definitely be a interesting. What else? Anything? Anything else catch your eyes in this uh, part? I noted the continuing themes and exploration of religion, and there's an interesting scene. I don't remember exactly where it is or even who's talking, but they're they're commenting on the fact that Kelsier has partially intentionally left behind a religion. Yeah. Complete with a saint or martyr in himself. But that and they talk about this in the scene. It's a it's a religion with now a, a fairly strong following. There's all these people who, you know, talk about following the survivor, and yet there's no actual doctrine associated with said religion. It's kind of this, you know, wave, this excitement that's drawn people into it but it doesn't actually have any meat to it there's no beliefs associated with this religion it's just the following of the survivor who sacrificed himself to save the city yeah that is really interesting the ska i mean he gave the ska something to believe in and right. to overthrow the lord ruler and that was obviously where his plans ended like that now what is the question for Vin and Ellen trying to hold this together for so many people. And uh, Vin really has an issue with how highly people hold Kelsier and, Kel and she knew him as a man. She knew him as a, as a guy who had certainly heroic moments, but flaws as well. And she, it really bothers her that they worship not only him, but her as well. So, so. And interestingly enough, part of that conversation about Kelsier and he's come up a couple times in our characters' discussions of well, what would Kelsier do? Or man, I wish Kelsier was here, he'd know what to do. And Ellen in particular is like bothered by the fact that he can't he feels like he has to live up to Kelsier. He feels like Kelsier has set this standard that he's trying to live up to. And he's talking with Vin about it at one point and Part of their conversation actually hit on a really awesome quote that I that I noted down. It comes from Vin, but it surprised me because we don't usually get pro pillow quotes until like the Sanderlanch. Yeah. Usually, in the midst of like the chaotic, epic moments, you have those you know pithy things that characters say in the the big moment. This was just a casual conversation in like the early first five chapters of the book. And it almost caught me off guard. I was like, Oh wow. That was your philosophy right there. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll read it for you real quick. Cause, cause I thought it was a great one. Let's see. It starts with, uh, they're, they're talking about, you know, can Ellen live up to Kelsier's, um, Kelsier's standard. And, and Ellen says this good men. Oh, let me go back. Vin says this first, you Ellen venture are a good man. A truly good man. Good men don't become legends, he said quietly. And here's the good quote. 
Good men don't need to become legends. They simply do what's right anyway. I was like, ooh, ooh, that, that's, that's a good quote right there. Nice job, Ben. I'm, I'm glad you brought this up, Elliot, because this stuck out to me too. I didn't actually remember this nod. Uh, I, compared to Stormlight, I think of Mistborn more so of like, as like a, more so a fun action book series, um, more mm. so than like the, Stormlight, we see a lot more like messages about character and and things like that, nobility and things more more so than we see in here on on average. Uh, but this this was different. This kind of showcased that more, and I really like it. I think it was really well woven in, and and I'm really glad that you brought that quote out because that that is definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, I I feel like this is a something that Caesar would say. Um, yeah. And it came from Vin, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's neat to see that kind of profound uh, thought coming from Vin because she is kind of like the street urchin character, the one who doesn't have any, typically doesn't have the like profound thoughts and, and, and deeper meanings of things, right? More naive um, in general. So it's neat having that that here. And up until this point, one of Vin's core character elements is the fact that she doesn't trust anybody. Right. She's been betrayed by everyone. And so a big part of her story is learning to trust people. What an incredibly trusting thing for her to just say to Ellen, to say, no, you are a truly good man and you don't need to be a legend. You just do the right thing. Is like, wow. Yeah, I certainly think Vin from two years ago would not say that. Um, and the fact not that Vin is being supportive of Ellen in his moment of weakness um, is really cool. I, I think the watching Vin grow is is something that's done well here with this with this line. Something that I I noted while listening to these chapters. I I don't know why, but reading specifically this, you know what? I have to store my spoiler this, and it's for like a dumb reason. Um, so I actually have to save this for like a couple of minutes. Um, so hold that thought. Um, you want to segue somewhere else while we finish up our Mistborn stuff? <laughs> right. So to finish up the um finish up the part the our big dramatic drop at the end of the the part is so we found a body in the castle and then oh, it's it's better it's better than that even i i laughed out loud at the irony of this literally the cleaning crew finds a skeleton in the closet <laughs> yeah that's true literally the cleaning crew goes in and says, uh, you've got a basket of bones in your closet. Is, uh, is that a problem? Like, I laughed out loud at how... I don't even know goofy that was in the moment. I, I guess I didn't think about it that way, but yeah, that's, that's pretty funny. The, they, they reported to Ellen, and they're like, you know you got 
you know, you got bones in your closet, right? That's, is that a problem? And Ellen and Vin are like, <laughs> I mean, we knew these were here. Thanks for not sounding the alarm or anything. Um, and then uh, Captain Demu, um, actually, uh, who last, or when we met him last book, I actually said he was my favorite character um, of the, the first three. I don't know if you guys remember me saying that, but Captain Demu is the one who reports this. And he's like, oh, okay, uh, I, I'm i sure you got your reasons, I'm not going to ask, so should I just dispose of the other one as well? And then they're like, uh, that's one is news to us, so <laughs> there's our there, there's our big name, or not name drop, reveal at the end of the, the part. There, the conclusion they come to is there's a chondra in Ellen's staff somewhere that has taken the place of someone. And the the conclusion they jump to, which I'm not actually necessarily on board with, is, well, if you're going to go with infiltrating, you might as well infiltrate Ellen's inner circle. So then they immediately start thinking, okay, is it Breeze? Is it Ham? Is it Spook? Who is it? And I was like, really? Like, I... I wouldn't immediately assume it was one of them. I would just assume it would be like, you know, one of the guards or maybe even Captain Dumu himself or, you know, somebody who's who's close, but not necessarily like in the inner circle. Because I feel like if you're having a bunch of conversations with Ellen, you're going to get revealed because you don't know some things that you should know. So you're going to be close, but you're not going to be spoken to, I think. Something that Vin says, though, is worrying. She she reflects on how convincing a imposter or Sir was as Ren, Renault. Renew. Renault. Renew. Yeah. And how that was a challenge for them was he had to be able to speak with people who knew that person before, and he did it. He he was able to do his homework and knew what to say and passed himself off convincingly. So Vin is terrified of oh, is, is this other Chondra going to be that effective as well? Do we need to worry? So, yeah, I I don't know, 50-50 maybe on whether it's a, actually one of our heroes or if it's just random guard number six. Right. I would I would lean towards, not number six, but number five, random guard number five. Oh, okay, sure. Um, And not heroes, but that, that's not the conclusion our heroes come to. Anything else for... Part one, before we get into Stormlight stuff and maybe other Cosmere stuff as well. One quick prediction, just to throw it out there so I can say I told you so if my 1% chance is complete later. Okay. There's a, a, a brief mention in one of the chapters that Vin's earring, do you remember Vin's earring? It came up a couple times before. It was given to her by her mother. Yes. And it comes from her mother somehow. And yes. it's been mentioned a few times. It's it's important to her. Okay. It's mentioned at one point that that earring is bronze. Okay. And okay. I I want to make a, a prediction that that is going to be important. That she either has a... I don't know the right term yet. I, the, the prediction would be something along the lines of like, ferrochemy is involved. That that earring is a like bronze receptacle of whatever bronze holds in the ferrochemy world. 
that Sean's I don't know mind. Yeah. Is that the term? I wanted no. to use that as a term, no, but I, I figured so. I don't think so. I'm sorry. The, the, only reason okay. why, the only reason why copper mind is used is because copper is used to store memories. Uh, oh, yeah, right. Yes. Because also mentioned in this part, um, which, which we actually didn't haven't talked about him yet, Marsh, his nickname is Iron Eyes before he even comes an Inquisitor. Which is mm. which? I believe they're iron spikes through the eyes as an inquisitor. But yeah, anyway, uh, it does it does matter what metal you're pierced with. So yes, uh, it is interesting that you're bringing this up. I didn't didn't think about this. So I I don't know enough yet to predict exactly what this is going to be. But what I'm going to predict is whatever you can store in bronze as a ferrochemist is stored in that earring that she has. Her mother is somehow involved. That's the prediction. Okay. Interesting. What does is, what is bronze do for an Alamancer? Bronze is your, like, detect other people, right? Yeah, it's like the inverse of copper, right? Oh, yeah. It's right. like you can sense other Al- Alamancers. Is that the blue it's like line one? Where all the metals are... No, a... I... is that... That's not... No, that's not... Oh, no. Bronze that's is the tin. listening to other metals being burned one. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. That's like what the Inquisitors do when they run around and are inquisiting, right? Like, they're right. like... Okay. Using that to try and sense other Alamancers. Okay. Yeah. Oh, 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 gosh. Okay. Wow. Yes. You're absolutely right. And we know that in the Inquisitors can pierce copper clouds with their bronze, oh. which in can also do and maybe she because she has a special bronze earring that's giving her said ability. Oh. Yeah. That's interesting. That's something I've never thought about. Okay. Interesting. Okay. As to why, if she's able to, I, I don't know if you're right, but I also don't know if you're wrong either. So, <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I I, never, I think I might just. I, I, I think never, I might just add that onto the onto the prediction that just popped into my mind yeah. when you started talking about inquisitors there. But I am going to officially amend my prediction to add that. All right. I did not actually realize that it was bronze specifically i thought we just had mentioned that it was like oh she has an earring i i did i did pick up that it was bronze in this part it does specifically say so i didn't think anything of it until elliot's bringing it up but yeah interesting okay um any other predictions for like the plot of the book elliot now that we at the end of part one, we've got both armies out of the outside the gate. We've got the mist doing weird stuff. Any any predictions on where this book is going or not going? The the epigraphs have me appropriately confused at this point. They're they're even giving me names, which should be telling me who they're talking about, and I don't know the names. So I'm like, well, hang on a second. I thought I knew who you were talking about, and now I don't. So I don't even have any predictions to throw in on that, but. Like, where's the book going? I I think it's going into the past again. I think we're going to get more explanation of what happened and the the deepness 
wasn't a glaring omission from the last book. Mm-hmm. We were we were all scared of the deepness, and oh, we got we I stopped the deepness by saving y'all and made you my slaves to save you, sort of thing from the Lord Ruler. Uh, like all of this was justified by oh yeah, I defended you from the deepness, or I defended you from something, and we got this ominous like oh you you just defeated me. Well, you're about to get crushed by what I was protecting you from, kind of vibes from oh, yeah. the Lord Ruler. So I I think. I think where we're probably going to go is learning more about the past, what happened at the Well of Ascension, title of the book, mm. and where are we going to go in the present? I don't really know. I mean, we we lost our big bad villain, so we kind of need a new one. It doesn't feel like Straff Venture is an appropriate big bad villain, so I'm kind of looking for a new big bad villain we need to take down by end of the book, so I I don't really know. I don't know. Okay. My my big prediction is the one I just threw at you with uh, that earring and Vin's mother. I think we're going to get a revelation there that is going to be a twist. Sounds good. All right. I I can no longer just say call this Stormlight stuff at the end of the episode because I'm also going to be including Yumi because I want to include Yumi. So and anything that the podcast has covered is now stormlight is is now spoiler free zone or spoiler inclusive zone I should say. So th- th- this is kind of a goofy thing to put in here because usually we talk about like big cosmere implications in this section. Um what is with Brandon Sanderson and dual scenes? Like I don't know if you guys remember Words of Radiance and Oathbringer. There's like three dual scenes per book in in the Stormlight Archive. There's there's like a bunch of dual scenes of Adolin, and then there's Kaladin and Zyle, and then there's Dalinar doing his wrestling um, duels in Oathbringer and how everybody's like afraid of him. And it made me think that there's a dual scene between Vin and Ham, I believe. Yes. Um in this in this part and as I was listening to it it dawned on me I don't know if this is because he was doing it well or if it, if it was because he was doing it poorly that this was really just an exposition stand here and talk scene in thin disguise that Vin and Ham were like you're getting like action verbs of like jumped and swooped and punched and but what the real meat of the chapter was is Ellen and clubs and spook, I believe, um, watching this and giving us exposition on everything that's happening in the final empire, or I don't even think they're calling it the final empire anymore, but in Ellen's empire. Um, so that made me think, is this some like writing tool that Brandon Sanderson has learned in his early writing career that if you if you need to sit and talk about something you need to have them watching an action sequence that way the reader doesn't get bored by reading an action sequence or at least they think they are but what you're really doing is telling them about this other thing that's going on but they're watching Vin and Ham punch each other so that's exciting right sorry i just had to I even had to... a way talk about that you could absolutely be onto something because like if you think about it it could be a way to give 
all of your readers what they want. Your your people that just want action can tune out the lore discussion and just key in on the action. Your people that are desperate for the lore explanations just tune out the whacking each other with sticks and listen to the the lore part. Right. Like by by mixing it all together, you can kind of allow the reader to pay attention to whatever interests them the most. Right. Interesting thought. It happened, now that I'm th really thinking about it, it happened in the last book too. Kelsey has a duel scene with some random soldier A who's insubordinate. And the point of the scene is to become religious figure for the army. But if we're just showing up and showing off our abilities, it's kind of boring. If What, what if we made a fight out of it? So, I don't, I don't know. That's... I'm on to you, Brandon. I, I've gotcha. You can't fool me. Every time there's a duel, I'm going to figure out, all right, what are we actually trying to learn here? Did you guys see the stark difference that I was talking about earlier between 2008 writing Brandon Sanderson and 2023 from Yumi? I, I really noticed that we were getting a lot of metal splaining from, from Brandon. And I, and I wonder if that comes from him being a young author and being influenced from other people. Because if you juxtapose that with, with Yumi and the Nightmare Painter, his most recent published work, he tells you, he, he tells you mechanics of what's happening once and when he wants to. He doesn't, he doesn't tell you over and over, this is a steel push, this is a cop, this is an iron pole, this is a pewter punch. Like, he, he does not reiterate himself near as much as Mistborn. Now, obviously the magic systems are different and there's a lot of like ambiguity that goes with Yumi and Stormlight. Um, whereas Mistborn is supposed to be very like scientific. Um, but I'm, I, I just, it really stuck out to me that the amount of times it's being re regurgitated to us, in Mistborn? So, okay, I, I have some thoughts on this. One, okay, okay, so I think it is kind of a result of the magic system here. Okay. I'm thinking about it of, of there's these ten different alimentic metals, and they all do different things, right? So, on the fly, in an action sequence, for example, like, you have to you don't have to specify what is going on, but for it to make sense to the reader and for it to like to to understand the gravitas of the fight, right, or, or whatever is going on, I feel like there's a little bit of specification needed of like flaring pewter to to jump away or to get a big hit in or whatever or the way there's a lot of like pushing and pulling of coins and all this stuff, you know, um, it is kind of hard to keep up with, but I think it's just kind of a byproduct of, of the magic system and how it is. Um, I'm thinking also like, I, I was also thinking about this of if you ever adapted it to a different medium, right? Like if you tried to make this a movie, you would have awesome action sequences. It'd be so cool. It'd be absolutely epic. But I was thinking it'd be kind of hard to portray all the things, right? Yeah. It would be hard to show that I'm now burning pewter, right? You could punch someone and they go flying instead of just getting hit, right? Like, that that conveys it well. 
but in like a Mistborn versus Mistborn kind of duel, right? Like, I feel like it wouldn't be super easy to convey that. Um, you would have to see a lot of like from Vin's perspective kind of thing, I imagine. Um, but even still, I feel like that's just a natural difficulty maybe of this magic system. It, it probably is, like, my understanding is that it is that. It is maybe more largely the magic system. And then secondarily, like, you know, I think Brandon has really improved as a writer, and, and, and you can tell and stuff, so. I think it's also an artifact of Brandon knows that his readers have faith in him. And so he can rely on that faith and not explain everything that's going on because he knows 2023 Brandon knows that his readers will stick with him through the uncertainty or without everything being explained. Whereas 2008 Brandon doesn't have that luxury. Right. He, he doesn't have that much of a understanding of his reader and fan base to be able to bank on the fact that they're going to go with the flow or trust that, you know, they're going to follow the nuances and the details without getting told every couple of paragraphs what metals it at work. Yeah. Paul, going back to your adaptation thing, this is kind of related, but it brought this to mind again, and I don't think I've ever mentioned it on the podcast, so I'm going to now. Adapting a Sanderson book into a movie could get really, like, cluttery really quick specifically like breaths spren and metals i think all three are going to be really hard to pull off on screen and i've and i've thrown the idea around in my head of you could make with modern technology you could make two versions of a film one you could make like a normal high fantasy action film um, and only portray the to the viewer what they need to know, like for the casual audience. So for Stormlight, that would be, you know, Silfrena, like a major lashing, and, you know, shard blades would be the only thing really visualized. But then you could make a B-reel, uh, not the app, but like a, like a second version <laughs> of the movie. Um, you could make a... How do I explain this? You, you could code it with like a VR headset to where if you put on this VR headset and watched the movie, you could then see all of like the wind spren, the pain spren, all of the like the extra clutter on the screen if you wanted to. And I don't know if this is a good idea. But this is this is an idea for sure that you could because if you if you read the beginning of the way of kings he really goes heavy into flame spren you know wind spren like he really leans heavy into you have no idea what's going on here and then once he explains it in like Oathbringer then he kind of backs off he doesn't really talk about like low spren anymore in rhythm of war. Um, or like, you know, the, the span read mechanics and all that, like weird minutia stuff. I, I think if you're going to adapt that correctly, it's going to get not 
pleasant to watch. It's not going to be like a normal fantasy book. There's just going to be like little red dots flying around the screen everywhere. But I, I feel like you could make some sort of software where you could opt into that if you want. Or the more immersive experience, right. I guess, if or, you really want to feel like you're on Roshar. Exactly. Or and yeah. you could also do like a 360 environment thing with it as well, where you could like be watching the scene in front of you and turn around and see like the high storm coming or something like that. Anyway. Um I, I've well, when you were talking about the metals, you could do like a different glow or what metal is being used and you could opt into that or as or normal action sequence is just bin punches dude and that's for the 90% of the audience that doesn't care about what metal's being burned anyway there's my uh there's my new age movie spiel there we go I I have thought about this a bit actually I feel like Mistborn would be one of the easier Brandon Sanderson movies to or books to adapt because it's fairly easy to wrap your head around that there's 10 metals you can use and they do these different things and you're going to learn about what each metal does and then you get to see it in practice you can see a lot of awesome action and a good storyline right stormlight is a bit more of a beast there's a lot of hypothetical games theoretical stuff uh more like literal like hard physics and mechanics and things like that and so i honestly think stormlight would be best as like a show like a tv show just for the hour time right that you would get and the storylines you'd get to follow like you know following the different characters around would be a lot easier in a tv series format uh but kind of digress about that um but you know well i'd love to see it on screen one day Warbreaker will surely have an epilepsy warning at the beginning of the movie. Like there, there's no other way to show Warbreaker besides literally blinding your audience. I don't know how you, how you put that one on screen. All right. Anything else for part one of the Well of Ascension? Just super quick to throw it out there. I should have snuck this in before we. Uh kicked out our, our stormlight free people but just to throw it in to keep my my streak alive i did put a little bit of thought into a theme for this part one of well of ascension and just to summarize it briefly the word i came to was specters and i keyed into like the ghostly aspect of the the term specter in the mist figures that we talked about the uh our chondra is rather spectery in in my mind they're kind of ghostly or ghastly or however you want to think about it but then the other kind of sense of the word vector in that overarching thing you feel like is just hovering over you i feel like kelsier has become that kelsier mm. is like a like a, a specter maybe in a more positive sense of the word over all of our heroes they've they've kind of got this uh this this example of Kelsier they're trying to live up to and then just lastly the the specter of war hanging over our, our plot at this point with the armies hanging outside of the, the wall so if I had to had to slap a theme on part one it would be specters and yeah I think that covers all my all my thoughts sounds good let's reconvene next week 
I don't know chapter split for next week, so I'll figure that out and let you guys know. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. See ya. Fantastic. See y'all later.